Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special. Shield Kapadia here, joined by Ben Solak. We are going to jump into some big picture Eagles questions today. You know, some people call it minutia. I call it minute. We did that with the offense and the defense the last two episodes. Ben's looking at me funny. Uh, but we're going to get into the big picture stuff today. And then we're going to do our first listener mailbag. So thank you to everybody who submitted questions on Twitter. Ben, you have a new background. You're in a new home. How yeah, does boy. it feel? You don't you don't get to say some people call it minutia and I call it minute <laughs> as if those are like two equal ideas. Both it's, options. People call it minutia. I'm incorrect. That's Listen. that's the, the correct way of describing that. Uh, no, yeah. I will continue to use minute. Uh I'm in the new place. I'm in the we're on the new pod. I'm back to being yelled at by Eagles fans on Twitter. It's not like that went away, but I had forgotten yeah. just how crazy like Man, when I asked name one good Quez Watkins play, I should have known that there were people on Twitter whose ads are like Speedy Watkins. And they were like, here's four good Quez Watkins plays. And I was like, yeah, he's been on the team for two years. That's kind of the point. Uh, I also had somebody uh, say that uh, I hate the Eagles already. Good. And also say, and now he's trying to sell us on this Shane Steichen BS. And I tried to figure out what he was talking about. I did some Googling. Like, apparently Shane did call plays for the second half of the year, but, like, yeah, it was Sirianni telling him which plays to call, and then he just talked to the quarterback, but then also sometimes he made a decision. 
And I was just like, okay, we're fully, we're, we're all the way back in on Eagles podcast. It's just, I hate the Eagles. There are 10,000 Quez Watkins stands on the internet. And apparently Shane Steichen has been talking to quarterbacks since last season, but also still not calling plays. And what is apparently a very convoluted Eagles play calling process. That's Ben's way of saying uh, continue to rate, review, subscribe. It's good offer to be back, feed- baby. <laughs> offer feedback. Uh, you might find him annoying. You might find me annoying. We've heard from those people. But listen, we've heard from a lot of people who are excited about the first two episodes. And so we we appreciate you continuing to listen and to offer that feedback. Ben, I don't have, you know, I don't need a big intro here. Let's get to these big picture questions right away. We've got four big picture questions before we get to the mailbag. I'm curious to see what you think about some of these. We're going to start with the quarterback, Jalen Hurts. And we talked about him on the last episode, but let's look into our crystal ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. How does the Jalen Hurts quarterback situation play out? over the next seven months. And we can use the framing if we want to. I wrote an article on The Ringer. It's basically pretty simple. If he's fantastic, if they make it to the Super Bowl, if he's an MVP candidate, all right, no question, he's the quarterback next year. If he stinks, if they win like seven games, if he plays terribly, if Gardner Minshew replaces him, all right, we know they're doing something else next year. But there's a big old middle ground in there. And so what are your thoughts on how likely that middle ground is to be what we're talking about and what the Eagles then do? Yeah, so state of the union on Jalen Hurts. We did a lot of the who he is as a player in the offensive episode. Contract-wise, because this is where the rubber meets the road, Jalen Hurts is in the third year of the four-year rookie deal that he signed when, uh, as all second-round picks do, as all picks do when they are uh, drafted by the team. So he's due $1.6 million this year on the cap. Next year, finally, the deal jumps all the way up to one9 Wow. For... Return on reward, uh, excuse me, return on investment. Uh, this is one of, if not the best quarterback contract in the league, right? In terms of the quality of play you're getting for the price that you're playing. This takes us all the way back to when the Eagles drafted Hertz in the second round of the 2019, 2020, 2020 draft. It was universally loved by like analytics guys and guys who evaluate draft and cap space from like a resource allocation and economic perspective because if you hit on a quarterback in the draft, it's a huge advantage. You have the most important player playing at a high level, and he's invariably cheaper than you would pay for him on a second contract. So it's always great. If you can do it with a second round pick, even better. It's unbelievable. And the fact that the Eagles had a quote-unquote franchise quarterback in Wentz should not deter you from still chasing the, the transactional value, the economic advantage given of having a functional starting quarterback on a cheap deal. That's a fine perspective. One of the things that it misses is the reality the Eagles are in now. Where yes, Jalen Hurts is a wonderful contract to have in terms of like positive expected value, in terms of like surplus value. When we're playing football games on the field, it becomes a lot trickier. You like It's great that you got a, a much better quarterback than is typically drafted in the second round. But the reason Hurts is drafted in the second round is because when you grade him up against the rest of the starting quarterbacks, you're left wondering, do I really want to hitch my wagon to this guy independent of the money he saves me, right? So you look at to this season and into next season. Number one, I would be stunned if Jalen Hurts is not an Eagle next year. It's very easy to keep this contract on the books and feel awesome about him as your quarterback too, which we know the Eagles love the backup quarterback position. Quarterback factory, we want to care about quarterbacks. We want to develop quarterbacks. So I expect Hurts to be on the, the team next year. The question then becomes financially, what space are you able to open up in the 2023 season? Uh, you have like 
Fletcher Cox void years to deal with, Javon Hargrave void years to deal with. You have guys that can be restructured. You have Jason Kelsey, potential retirement. So there's money that may or may not leave, may stay on the books, may not. And of that money, how much are you then able to spend on the quarterback position? And that ends up being as much a conversation about what Hurts is this year as it is about what the other guys are, right? Where like, if you play this season and it turns out like Jordan Davis isn't the guy we expected and AJ Brown gets banged up and, you know, uh, James Bradbury clearly is on his last legs and isn't the corner two you thought, then you're a lot less likely to be aggressive at quarterback next year because you don't feel like you're on the precipice. You don't feel like the 2021 Rams looking for that, that, that quarterback to push them over the edge. If all your guys hit, and it's evident that Jalen Hurts is the limiting factor on the team, then yeah, you're much more likely to say, let's restructure, let's use this last year of Jalen Hurts' deal to spend a bunch of money on quarterback now and go get Lamar's the guy I always like to joke about because I love the idea of Lamar. So contract-wise, I think Hurts is an eagle for the next two years. I don't think that's going to change. Play caliber-wise, if he's somewhere in that middle ground, you look to the rest of the roster and you look to your playoff performance, you look to your coaching staff, and you try to say as a front office we're ready. If we got a Lamar in the building, we'd win a Super Bowl. Let's go. Or you say, we're not ready. Let's use this last year of Jalen Hurts' deal. Let's continue to have quality, if not elite quarterback play on a really, really cheap figure. And let's continue to invest in the team such that we're ready to make the quarterback move whenever. The final wild card there is the draft, but it's way too early to talk about like, they have the 17th pick. And if they use the Dolphins to trade up, then get CJ Stroud. Like that's just like a bunch of hypotheticals that we will get to when we get there. Right now it's about evaluating your roster and your quarterback. Although a lot of mailbag questions about that, Ben. So we might at least touch yeah, on we, it. Yeah, well, wait, wait. You, listen, it's, <laughs> episode, you, can't give an, you can't give an earnest answer, but you yeah. can always talk about the draft. It's a, the, right. the draft is eternal optimism for NFL fans. It never goes away. That's right. So a couple things I'll add to what you said with Hurts. Uh, I wouldn't say I would be stunned if he's not on the team next year. You're right. They, you know, the, I think it's more likely than not that he is, whether he's the starter or not, even if he's the backup, he's on a reasonable contract. At the same time, maybe that contract makes him appealing to other teams. And so if you are going to make a big move, whether it's in the draft or somewhere else, and you include Hurts in the deal and another team says, okay, we're getting at least a competent starter back, uh, then we will make this move. So that's one thing to keep in mind. I think another big thing to keep in mind, and this is the off season is so long that we kind of forget about this. This off season was not about committing to Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, uh, in my understanding, from an Eagles perspective. This was, let's look at the other quarterback options out there. Are any of them viable options? Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Remember, those guys were picking where they wanted to play. And so, you know, I think the Eagles at least looked into these things, and and that might be putting it uh, lightly, but ultimately realized that those were not realistic possibilities for them. And they looked around and said, okay, let's run it back with Hurts another year. We'll surround him with good pieces and we'll see what this thing looks like a year from now. And so your point about the roster was a good one because so much can change in one year. Like right now, I'm looking at it going, this looks like a roster that's ready to win right now if it had a, if yeah. it had a very good quarterback. Like they could easily win the Super Bowl. We don't know how this year is going to play out. At this time next year, we might not be saying that. Now, I still think they have a lot of good young talent, but some of those things around the edges, I mean, Jason Kelsey could retire. Uh, you know, James Bradbury will be a free agent. Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave will be free agents. Like these are some key starters in some key Chauncey Gardner Johnson is a free agent. So these are some key starters in some key spots that while you might hope to bring a lot of them back, the core might look a little bit different uh, than it does right now. So uh, the, the veteran option is 
pretty interesting to me because it's hard to predict who those guys are going to be. I mean, let's say Hertz is like the 18th ranked, 18th best quarterback this year, and you have an option to get a Derek Carr next offseason. Does that do anything for you or not? I mean, that might be a question. That might be a tough question that they're going to have to yeah. answer next offseason. It's not always Russell Wilson or Matthew Stafford. You know, it might kind of be a little and even step then, below like, that. Let, yeah. Let's not act like, like, like the Stafford race was like, Shanahan and McVay like wanting to get this big arm in their offense but let's yeah. not act like Stafford was like a locked in thing yes you're right in his Good final point. year in Detroit right and what like there was no avoiding this but an unfortunate corner into which the Eagles have painted themselves is that if they start to look at the veteran quarterback market outside of Jalen Hurts they're largely going to find players that don't play like Jalen Hurts which right. will necessitate a change in the offense which makes prognosticating and making that leap all the trickier, right? Like Derek Carr, yeah. I think is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. I firmly believe that. I also think it's really tough to spend a year running an offense for Jalen Hurts and then trade him for Derek Carr and be like, yeah, week one, we're going to hit the ground. Carr is a professional. You're going to get a, an offense working. Like it's, it's, it's like, oh, it's West Coast. So you kind of just like plug and chug. But at the same time, it's different. It, it, your, your tackles have to get used to the quarterback back there landing at a different spot, not moving as much. Your receivers have to get used to a different ball and like everything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, it's it it is it is difficult to like like the veteran options look good on paper and then you kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it and the brass tacks of it and it is hard uh, especially when you talk about like the free agents the guys that might have to be extended right now the Eagles have more guaranteed money than any other team in the league currently given to non quarterback contracts yes. right this the, this the, this team wants to be this team and they don't want to have to to do any finagling around it. and if they have to buy another year to like figure stuff out and like the veteran market isn't what they want it starts to get a little bit sweaty under the collar cap-wise. That's what Roseman is here to handle, but it does start to get sweaty. And even with the car comparison, it's not even as simple as Hertz or car. It's just, it's Hertz at this number or it's car mm -hmm. at you're paying over 30 million plus whatever draft capital or whatever you would have to potentially give up to land him. So what is your, let's say, you know, you got a little, uh, you know, the, the previous uh, owners of that house left a flat screen behind you. Let's say you got to put that on the market uh, it, uh, on this bet. Is Jalen Hurts the starter week one of the 2023 season? Yes or no? Just what's your, hey, this is more the more likely scenario right now. Or what's your uh, gut or whatever? Starting week one. Yeah, of next year. <laughs> it's tough. Yes, because I think okay. it's more likely they draft a guy than bring a guy in as a veteran. And okay. in that outcome, I think it's very much possible that Jalen Hurts is starting week one as they're trying to figure out whether or not they want to bring the rookie along. They're trying to figure out the best time to play the rookie. Um, obviously, like I said, I didn't want to get too far into this, but the Eagles have the extra first-round pick. They don't have yeah. a lot of cap space in terms of future years, so it's much more likely they draft a guy, especially in a good class. Um, and the Hurts, one year left on his deal in 2023, gives them a really nice ramp to bring the guy in on a timeline that works for him, right? Depending on how, how experienced that rookie might be and how that rookie might learn. And so I'm going to go... Yes, Hurts is the week one starter for the 2023 Eagles. It's tight, though. It's, I it's mean, like, tight. It really is. And that's what makes yeah. it fun to talk about. Is it really is quite 50-50. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think if I had to give up this uh, wonderful Dream Team poster that used to hang in my childhood uh, bedroom that my mom saved all these years and I made it my mm -hmm. uh, Zoom backdrop here, I, would, I think I would say no if I had to say right now. I don't yeah. feel great about it, but if I'm putting that on the line, I think uh, I would say no. Okay, that's big picture now, question. Yeah, I, 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 I want to ask you a question back and you know, put the flat yeah. screen on it. I tell you right now, 
you know, I give you no no information about what happens this season, prognosticating forward, whatever. I tell you right now that I'm going to give Jalen Hurts the the Kirk Cousins extension. All right, so remembering what Deshaun Watson has signed for and Kyler Murray has signed for and what Lamar Jackson's looking to sign for, Kirk Cousins uh, had one year, thirty million left on his deal, and the Vikings signed him to another two years at sixty six million. So that's a total of ninety six million over three years. It's thirty two million per year. He has $61 million guaranteed at signing, so about two-thirds of that guaranteed. So I'm telling you right now, I'm going to give you Hertz $93 million over three years. It's only $32 million per year. Two-thirds of that is guaranteed. You take that or no? Uh, this may look very stupid by the end of the year, but I'm going to say no. My whole philosophy on quarterbacks right now is I'm not paying for competence at quarterback. And I think the most likely scenario with Hertz is competence at quarterback. Again, I'm saying uh, there, there's a scenario where he balls out and is fantastic. And then, you know, you would look smart, but if I'm getting one of those guys who's maybe between the 12th and 20th best quarterback, I'm not giving up mm-hmm. big money or big resources to land the, that guy, because those guys are available every year that middle tier grows every year in the nfl and so i need to be getting a you know top seven top eight guy to really pay up for them how about you i 100 agree this was the conversation okay. we had with the dak prescott extension right because like when the cowboys were going to extend dak i think it was stephen jones not jerry jones which usually it's jerry jones who says something ridiculous so i'm pretty sure it was stephen this time where one of the joneses was like if you go back and you look at super bowl winners the quarterback was never more than like 15% of the cap for the team or whatever. And like, like Cowboys fans sunk their teeth into this. It was like, we cannot have Dak be more than 15% of the cap. We will never win a Super Bowl. If a quarterback's the guy, he's the guy. The money just doesn't matter. If the guy can win you a Super Bowl, if he's talented enough. And like, you know, fans be like, oh, but what if this is this? Is Nick Foles was in the NFC Championship game with Case Keenan, Blake Bortles. Watch, watch the football games. If, that, if you watch the quarterback play, like you watch Mahomes, you watch Herbert, you watch Rodgers, and you go, yeah, that guy could make a playoff run right now, then any price tag is worth the price tag. And if you don't have that feeling, most price tags aren't worth it, right? Like yeah. most most deals. It kind of becomes that binary a little bit, just in terms of like your on-field. Like obviously there's ways to win in the margins, like fully guaranteed versus not guaranteed and like how to structure a contract to help you out. But if you go and you look at guys who signed deals like that Kirk deal, Jared Goff, Ryan Tannehill, Carson Wentz, yeah, Matt. This era, Matt Ryan. It's not a list you want your quarterback to be in. If the agent of your quarterback is like, "Yeah, we'll take a deal at thirty-two million dollars per year," the agent is telling you that you don't want this guy. You want somebody else. So I very much agree with you. It's a hard reality, but that it kind of becomes that binary, that cut and dry when we talk about top quarterback contracts. Also, with a lot of those guys you mentioned, whether it's Burrow, Herbert, Mahomes, Lamar, after two years, there was no question that the franchise kind of felt like. They yeah. had their guy. Now, there are exceptions. Josh Allen is the one. Jeffrey Lurie even referenced him in the spring. I mean, there are guys who develop a little later or make that leap in year three. But most of the time after year two, you feel pretty good about it one way or the other. All right, let's move. We haven't talked. I barely talked about Howie Roseman. This is our third episode. I, you know, his name has come up a little bit, but we haven't given a full Howie Roseman assessment, a conversation. And so we're going to do that now with the next two questions. The first of which is very simple. How do you assess Howie Roseman's Offseason. I mean, he is getting all kinds of love. You can't even find like a, um, an alternate take anywhere, I feel like, from anyone in the national media, probably mostly locally, mm-hmm. too. It is just kind of a consensus. Great offseason. Is it warranted? How is, how is a known commodity at this point, baby? I mean, he just simply is what he is, right? Like, I remember uh, after the Rager trade, 
I, I, I said, I think I tweeted like, why do GMs just pick up the phone when they see a 215 area code? Just stop. Don't, don't, don't get on the phone with the guy. Don't get in the ring with Howie when it's Tracy. It's a bad idea. And everybody was like, uh, does he get credit for trading Jalen Rager for a fourth when he's the one who drafted him in the first round? And it's like, yes, but no, but that's the whole point is that every right. April we hate this guy. And then the other 11 months of the year, we're like, yeah, this is great because he's not making embarrassing trades and he's getting value for players and he's holding on to quarterbacks and moving them for picks. And like, we talked about this a little bit in terms of the investment at linebacker. It's like, do I wish the Eagles linebackers were better? Yes. Are the Eagles still building the defense the right way? Yeah. Like it, it like linebacker is a position where you just have to take the flyers in the middle rounds and hope to hit on a guy and how he understands that. And he approaches things correctly. Like there are absolutely, there are running backs who I watch. I'm like, I'd spend a first round pick on him. There's linebackers. I watch I'm like I spent a first round pick on him, but I'm glad that my general manager doesn't because it means he understands positional value and has a lot more self-control than I do. Right. I just like I would like the good players, please. Like, you know, I, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm a football fan. I just like jump at the fun stuff. Uh, so how, how he's known for what he is, right? He's an extremely economical thinker, right? So you have like the analytics approach that leaks into the coaching staff, but you also have just a very uh, money-oriented, cap-oriented approach to how they build the team. At times, that gets him into trouble. I think that Howie doesn't have a lot of good relationships across the league, which can make free agency stuff tough. Free agency stuff tough, right? It can make things difficult. He doesn't have like a great reputation in terms of appealing to star players and like managing the big personalities of the league that can be tough when it comes to attracting free agents but you live with that because he gives you really nice return on on contracts like nobody was restructuring as early or as aggressively as the eagles and now pretty much everybody does it except for like the the most cautious teams in the league because it's just a way to get tomorrow's money into your wallet today and build a more competitive team and solve problems that you have like roseman's a good general manager because of what he's because what he's good at he's really really good at in April, I'm gonna hate him, but that's just that's that's the cycle that you live with him there. And and the last thing to be said about Roseman, which is always the most important thing, number one, like I say it every time I talk about him, is everything I just described is the job of the general manager. But what's the number one job? What's the number one responsibility of the general manager? Not get fired. That's that's his that's his number one goal in work. That's my goal here with, with on the Ringer podcast. That's <laughs> Nick Sirianni's goal as the head coach of the Eagles. I would like to hold on to this job. I would like to be continue to cash checks. And Roseman is better than anything else, better than cap management and trades. He is better at not getting fired than the other guy. You do not see general managers survive as many head coaching hiring and firings, which like Roseman like, didn't even survive the Reed firing and still, or the, the Chip Kelly era, excuse me. Yeah. And still technically he did. Uh, you don't see general managers persist this long. It's, it's a testament to his ability to stick around. And that means the Eagles roster has been like totally retooled in five years. Cause that's what he does. Well, yeah. The last two years to get as much under 26, 27 year old talent as he has after the Wentz disaster. Uh, I think I was not expecting mm -hmm. this. And so you look around the roster now and you see guys like AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, Jordan Mailata, uh, Josh Sweat. And you know, you can really go on and list a number of guys right. who you say, wow, they actually have a strong core. Now, let me be a little bit of a, uh, play, try to play devil's advocate with this off season specifically. So it's always good to try to take a look at the other side. Now I'll, I'll put this in the framework of, I think this is the best off season Roseman's ever had as the Eagles GM. I mean, I, I have pretty much approved of nearly every move aside from maybe a couple minor ones with their own players. But if you look at it from the other side, you know, AJ Brown is 25 by all accounts was a great teammate 
great intangibles, proven track record. It's always important to ask the question, why did the Titans trade him? I mean, are they just a dumb organization? Was it just a contract squabble? And he said, I'm not dealing with you guys anymore. Get rid of me. That's entirely possible. But at the same time, it's important to always remember that you're dealing with an information deficit when you're acquiring a player from another team where he's been mm-hmm. in their building day in and day out. So, you know, you could play that game with A.J. Brown, with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I mean, that one is so low risk that it just is a home run because even if he's like off the roster in by week nine, it doesn't really matter <laughs> of what you gave up there. But at the same time, you can ask the question, why were the Saints giving up on him for nothing when he's 24 years old and has been a core member of their defense the last two years? So yeah, you know, it's good to think about that as well. And then Jordan Davis is the last one. You know, are those questions about him as a pass rusher being able to impact the game on third down uh, in two-minute situations and obvious pass rushing situations, are those fair or are those overblown. You know, Kyle Hamilton was, I think, you know, a lot of people probably looked before the draft. If you would have just asked Eagles fans, Kyle Hamilton or Jordan Davis, more might've said, bring me Kyle Hamilton. And so they went with Jordan Davis there. So again, I like all those moves. I think I like all these players. I think all these players are going to be really good and really exciting. It's a reason why I'm high on the Eagles this year. But what do you think about those devil's advocate uh, arguments about those kind of key moves Howie Roseman made this offseason that have really just been universally approved and lauded? Yeah, I'm, I think like, I think when you when you get the microscope out, you're like, all right, so there's like risk in, in these moves that doesn't get talked about when it just gets discussed at like a 5,000 foot level and that risk needs to be understood. And then when you get rid of the microscope and you take the step back, like every move is just risk, right? Every move is just risk management. I think that like this, this, this answer moves a little bit away from like good analysis and more to like a little bit of fandom. But I just, I would so much rather have a general manager who takes risks and tries to manage it as opposed to a team that just sits on their thumbs, right? Like you have like, and like, that's a little bit not fair because like the Steelers, for example, are like an extremely just like cautious team in terms of how they spend money and how they make trades. They've been really good for a long time. And part of that's I had the same quarterback for 18 years. You get a franchise guy, you can, you can rock it. But in general, I would rather have a team that is aggressive makes trades, makes moves, tries to find competitive edges in the world of just making transactions. Like we think we're better at figuring out who's valuable and who's not than other teams are. So we're going to make a lot of trades. And sometimes that means we trade a fourth round pick for Jannard Avery. The thing that happened, one great, nobody felt good about it, not for a second. But over time, right, law of big numbers here, if we do this enough, we're going to accumulate an edge because we are better at understanding value than you are. And if that's an advantage for us, we have to hammer it in the same way that Nick Sirianni has to keep calling quarterback runs against the New Orleans Saints in week 11. We have an advantage here. We're going to hit it so you stop us, right? So I, I, I prefer that approach, even if that invites risk and, like, exposes you to we're bringing in a bunch of players that we don't really know and we have to, like, manage those guys. But also look at the coaches that have been brought in, like during Roseman's era, as he was climbing up and otherwise, like besides Kelly, Reed, Peterson, and Sirianni have all been very much so like players coaches. And that's an understanding in the building of we're going to cycle in and out a lot of guys. We're going to have more transactions than other teams. So we need coaches who are good at literally getting along with players. Like we need guys here who players like to play with and they're going to understand them quickly and they're going to feel comfortable because we're going to go through a lot of dudes. Right. And, and, and so it's important that we have a culture here that kind of integrates those guys. You think about how the Chip Kelly era ended up falling apart and you kind of see what, what the 
the antithesis here could potentially look like. Well, so I was going to say, yeah, I, I think it's more, I would say it's just a byproduct of Jeffrey Lurie having ex- the Chip Kelly experience and saying, all right, we're never, <laughs> I'm right. never going to have a coach who I don't like, who I can't go to lunch with and feel comfortable. I mean, this is, this is a true thing. Like he, you know, Lurie wants a, Lurie wants to be involved. And so he wants a coach uh, who he can get along with, who listens to him, who they can go to, you know, go to lunch, whatever, have those conversations. And it doesn't feel like, like he's, you know, being put uh, in the corner as the owner who doesn't yeah. have a say in to, football yeah. matters. So, yeah. Right. And to whatever degree it's like conscious or, or unconscious or like, you know, a, a, a correlation versus causation. It's like a happy consequence versus like an intentional one. It's there, right? It's something that, that exists right. and, and, and gives you the chemistry between general manager and front office that you need. Again, there's problems with this. When Doug left, what was the story? It was... Doug was like, may I please have one opinion about a player? And the front office was like, no, you absolutely may not have one opinion about a player. Here's your 53-man roster. So there, there, there's give and take here. We are like, how he is, 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 hill, is hills and valleys, baby. He's, he's waves and he's troughs. And we are, we're on a peak of a wave right now. And it's a reminder of how much fun it is to have a general manager who routinely gets good players in the building. We're going to hit a trough. It's coming. It's going to be in week six when I'm so pissed off by the linebackers that I want to blame anybody and everybody for the state of the room. It's going to be in April when, you know, the reporters that the Eagles really like some pass rusher they don't need for some reason, despite the fact they have like 95 holes everywhere else. There's, there's, there's absolutely, uh, yeah, peaks and valleys with, with a GM like Howie Roseman. Right now we're in a peak and I'm enjoying it. All right, next question. Uh, I'll take. I'll ask this one to myself first and answer this. How confident are you in Roseman and to an extent Jeffrey Lurie going forward? So this is a different question than the previous one. The previous one's more about what they did this offseason. If you look at it, they've had a lot of front office turnover. And, and this was like an offseason that was, again, pretty much universally approved. And then all of a sudden, a lot of the guys that worked under Howie Roseman or, or, or men and women, Ian Cunningham, Brandon Brown, Catherine Raish, Andy Weidel, all these people are out of the building. And so I think it's important to yeah. note that this is the most power. Howie, Howie Roseman has pretty much always had a lot of power. This, I would argue, is the most power he's ever had. Like, there is no question about who is making the final call on stuff. Again, most, you know, pretty much every other year, except for the the chip years, uh, that has been the case. But this is even to an extreme. So I think that's important to note. The other thing is, Howie's strength is in the rebuild. And I will give uh, my, my friend Zach Berman from Birds with French credit for first mentioning this. And I thought it made so much sense because this is the part of roster building that he's really good at. You want to get out Absolutely, of the yeah. DeMarco Murray, the Byron Maxwell contracts. You want to maximize Carson Wentz's value, even though he was a disaster last year. All these things he's very good at. I think if you want to look at where does he give you an edge, it's doing that. When issues have surfaced with the Eagles during his tenure, they have not had to do with these little roster moves and getting value in a trade. They have had to do with politics, with different departments working together, with scouting, working with analytics, with analytics, working with coaching, with coaching, working with scouting, with an idea that, hey, we don't, you know, do we even have a say? Or is it just going to be Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie making the call? Do we know what they're thinking? Do we know how they're putting all these pieces together? Those have been the issues, whether you want to call it leadership, direction, cooperation, secrecy, if you want to go as far as paranoia, (laughs) uh, that far you can. These things don't surface 
when things are going well. When you come off a season in which you exceeded expectations and had a first-year head coach and made the playoffs and had a great offseason, those things don't surface. Those things surface when you start to face some adversity. So I don't know if it's right. going to happen this year. It might not happen this year, but I do think it's worth pointing out, um, you know, and, and again, I love I love what he did this offseason, but if we're looking at the four-year stretch since they won the Super Bowl, they're 31-33-1. They're two games under 500 over a four-year span. Their winning percentage is 19th in the NFL. They're 18th in point differential over that span. It's their first four-year stretch without a top 10 DVOA finish since 84 to 87. And so I was making uh, this argument. Back in my time. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. In, in March that like they're stuck in this sea of mediocrity without a way to get out. And then they started making some, you know, an AJ Brown move and all, all these other moves where I said, all right, now they actually have a higher ceiling than I thought. But it's worth looking at that framework in terms of if they go nine and eight and lose in the first round of the playoffs, like, How's everyone going to be feeling about this team, about the leadership, and how's it going to be different than how you feel about it now? So that's kind of where I stand on whether you're confident or not uh, about them going forward. I love that. I think that that's a, it's such an important thing to be able to be like, hey, uh, winning cures all ills, baby. You, you know, Roseman doesn't have great interpersonal skills. Team's 12 and 5. Ain't nobody give a hoot. Teams five and twelve, we give a lot of hoots now. Right. <laughs> Reality didn't change, perception did, and that's because the, the a couple kicks went a different way, a couple coin flips went a different way, and you're losing some football games. And so, vibes are good because I was funny. I was listening to a, a preview pod that I did because I was like doing notes from last year, and it was like week twelve, and I was like, the Cowboys are in control of the NFC East, but Washington's making a push. Five weeks later, the Eagles would win that division. I didn't even mention them, right? Like yeah. that, the, there are the positive vibes from the wins, even with the playoff loss considered, and then from, from the offseason wins, which aren't like, you know, a win-loss column, but still feel that way. Um, I'm curious what your, like, I feel like the number of number twos and number threes that have left the Eagles front office over the last few years, which is an astounding number. You read some of the names, Weidel and Douglas and Reich and whomever. Uh, that always gets waved away with being like, because teams like analytics, the Eagles are just analytics summer camp. And you just kind of go there for a while. You bunk up with, with Howie and you kind of learn, oh, this is an Excel spreadsheet. And then you go somewhere else and you're like good at it now. Uh, so I'm curious, like, I always think of that and I say, like, all right, like, yeah, analytics is probably part of that. They also probably just didn't want to be in the building that much anymore, right? Like, it, it was... There's not really going to be a lot of room for upward mobility because Howie ain't going anywhere. Right. And I'm not sure it's the most fun building to be in. And that's kind of always where my head goes on those things. So I'm curious for you, like when you see the exodus, does it freak you out at all? Because it freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think what you said is not uh, unfair, you know, whether it's, mm -hmm. well, all right, Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie are making every decision and we're not even privy to how all those decisions are made. That might make the job lose some of it. I mean, you can do your job and be isolated and tunnel visioned and do what you're supposed to do and hand your reports to them. But then after that, you're kind of like, all right, I want a little bit more from this, you know? And so it's, do you feel like everyone, and then sometimes it's just, there's a better opportunity elsewhere. I think that's fair. I don't think it's always one thing. Um, but uh, I, I do think it's, it's, you know, it did definitely caught my eye this off season. And again, some of those opportunities were just better opportunities, but other opportunities, Howie Roseman could have just promoted these people within to assistant GM roles, which he did with two other people internally. And, you know, would that have gotten them to stay 
Probably not. And so I, I think that's a fair question to ask when you just sort of look at their setup compared to um, other teams. And so it's, it's something probably that we should definitely bring up next offseason when we see what decisions they're making, because it's a different group. And who knows, it might be a better group. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't we don't know. It's impossible to know exactly what every person does, what their roles are. What we do know is who is making the final decisions. Yeah. All right. I would feel better if like while they were coming to analytics summer camp in Philadelphia, I believed that like how we were also learning things from them and like grabbing like you know, scouting nuggets and implementing them. I do not feel that way. I feel like they just yeah. kind of come to summer camp. They get like eagles on their resume and then they bop out of here. And I like they obviously bring value in terms of like evaluating dudes. <laughs> I always feel like they come to eagles summer camp and they kind of just they're here. They get it on their resume and then they're out of here. And I'm sure they bring value in terms of like the players that they evaluate and the notes that they give for a couple of years in the scouting department. But I don't know if they leave like a lasting impact on the way the Eagles do things. And while the way the Eagles do things is generally good, you can certainly go back to their draft history and be like, it would be cool if they were better at evaluating players. Yeah. I don't even, and I don't even know that it, you know, the analytic, like I don't think Howie Roseman's an analytics savant. I think he understands uh, that it's useful. And I think he understands the big picture stuff in terms of positional value and that kind of thing. I think he definitely leans more on the people around him, uh, for those, for those things. And I think the people who have worked with him who have probably found it valuable probably appreciate more kind of the reading the market, the how to get out of a bad, con- like some of that stuff that he does well. Um, I think they would probably say, all right, that that was a valuable experience to see kind of how he operated there. But all right, that, that that's, a, that's a good... Uh, now, do we even want to discuss that? Our, our fourth question was about Sirianni. I feel like we hit on a lot of this um, in the previous mm-hmm. episode. Do we have anything new to say? Is there anything you want to see from Sirianni this year where you just look at I, it and I, say... I'd, I'd like to understand how the play calling works because he was asked yeah. multiple follow-ups about it and the transcript provides no clarity. Well, my, I think... I'm officially, yeah, Sirianni is up in my some. pain scale now. He's up a point okay. because <laughs> All right. this is a yeah. nightmare. Explain. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, he did hand the play calling over to Shane Steichen secretly where, where it was not, this was not a known thing that they advertised last year, but in the middle of last season, he did hand over the play calling to Shane Steichen. I think when he explains it, he wants to make it clear that it's still his offense and he's not just on the sideline twiddling his thumbs, but the person actually doing the play calling and, you know, making those decisions is Steichen. Now, as we know, every team has a plan going into the game, going into the season about how they want to do things on, hey, third and seven, here here are our calls, Uh, you know, fourth and fourth and one, here are our calls. So there's not like this huge mystery to it, but yeah, they did hand it over to Steichen and it's going to continue to stay with Steichen uh, this season. Now, whether that was the big reason for why their offense turned around, I think that's probably a little bit overblown. I mean, they kind of just changed their overall philosophy, I would say, more so than Steichen just saying, oh, you know, oh, I know what to dial up in this specific spot because the defense is off guard. So it might be a little bit uh, overblown, but at the same time to what you did speak of on the previous pod, I think that's legit in terms of a first-year head coach giving away play-calling duties when it's something that offensive coaches love to do is call play I think that speaks to his humility. By the way, I do also wonder, was that just a Sirianni decision or was that a, hey, I'm meeting, I met with, you know, Howie and Jeffrey on Tuesday and they thought this might be a good decision. You know, that's something I don't know the answer to, but um, something. The way it reads. So like, here's, here's the quote. Uh, We're, we're just calling it together. Sirianni said of himself and Steichen. We talk about the series of plays before each go around, which I think is drive. I think a go around is a drive. It's like, hey, we're going to run this, 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 and this on this one. And we know the flow of what we're going to do. 
Shane calls it in, but we discuss what that flow will be before each one. And then Shane rolls with that series of five plays, and it can be different each series, I guess is what I'm saying. Sometimes Shane is going to roll with those five or six plays that we talked about, and sometimes Shane is going to call it in an order we talked about. And then I'm going to tell him, no, I want this here. <laughs> I So, yeah. I The way it reads to me is in the middle of the season, they were like, you know what we need to do? We need to get, like, think about, like, 2017 Eagles construction where, like, Doug was calling plays, but like Filippo was red zone and Reich was third down. I right. think that's how it was. I can't remember. I think like in the middle of the season, they're like, oh, we need a little bit more of that. We need a little bit more of like situational guys with like preps for down and distances. And then they just kind of tried to like do it midseason, right? Where like it like they didn't really already have it built in. And I'm curious if if we see more of that this year in terms of like more clear silos. Um, so it seems like they're trying to like figure out how to do what we call series play calling, right? Where it's like um, I'm calling this run because I want to call this play action pass that looks like this run four right. plays from now. So I need to make sure this is here so I can do that, um, which is great news. It sounds like that's what they're they're trying to get off the ground. I'm and like I certainly feel like they did more serious play calling at the end of last year, but still, it's very. This is still very peculiar to me. It's very occluded. And there's no reason for it to be. Coaches are always like, like the Lions have yet to announce who's calling plays. As if that means like anything at all. But there you go. Yeah, I think that if they're not, uh, you know, if the play call is ticking, if the play clock is ticking down to three, two, one, and then this will become a bigger story that why, why is it convoluted? What's the exact process? But uh, for now, you know, I think Steichen is the play caller and we'll see how they go about it. What I want to see is, does Sirianni have like a higher ceiling as an offensive mind, which is something you alluded to in the last episode. You know, if you have like, like Sean McVay has had five years as the Rams head coach, four of those were with Jared Goff. And in four of the five years, including three with Goff, they've had a top 10 offense. Like I like to just see who can do more with less. And so yeah. do they have, you know, these, these, the, the plays, the scheming where the film grinders are posting these clips going, Oh my gosh, this is beautiful. Look how they did this. Not just, Hey, look at the offense line just dominating but kind of hey hey they really set them up here because of something they saw on film or something they saw in week four or something they used in the first quarter and they came back to it in the fourth quarter all those things that uh, all of us nerds like to look at and give coaches a lot of credit for that's what I want to look at and then also it speaks you know I talked about the adversity with Roseman I want to see that too this year the expectations are totally different this isn't hey nine and eight losing the first round of the playoffs that's a great year it's totally different this year they are a buzzy team uh, from Roseman and Lurie, you're looking at it saying, we gave you everything you need to win the division and really be like a 10, 11 win team at least. And so if that doesn't happen, how are they going to handle it? You know, he seems to have a good connection with his players. He wears their t-shirts, the analogies with the watering plants, all that stuff. It seems like he's on the right track with all that. But again, when the expectations are different, when things don't start going well, when maybe AJ Brown's not getting the ball as much as he wants to, maybe when Devonte Smith is looking at these other receivers going, man, they right. have a lot better than I did. All those things that a head coach has to, when Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is saying, why'd you play me in the slot? Uh, 33 snaps last week. I want to get paid like a safety. I mean, these are all CJ things. just running in with the PFF <laughs> charting. I'm an edge <laughs> subscriber. 33 snaps in the slot. These are all the things that coaches have to deal with. So those are the kind of two things I want to keep an eye on with him. All right. Should we get to the mailbag? Yeah, absolutely. I love a mailbag. Let Let's get to the mailbag. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Some are serious, some are silly. So let's start with, uh, now do I read their like 
the the actual Twitter handle? Do I read their name or do I read both? How do we want to? You do this? absolutely do for at Oily Hips. That guy's okay. gotta get in there. I don't care what, what a, you do for the rest of them. I mean, what a handle at Oily Hips, also known as Nate B. Uh, we he says we've got a loaded, fun young roster. We've got draft capital. If Hertz isn't the guy, we seem to have a competent, adaptable coach and a GM on a two-year hot streak. What's supposed to keep Eagles fans up at night? Where can this all go wrong? This is like the question that every Eagles fan, I think, is thinking right now with the amount of buzz they're getting. What is your answer to that, Ben? Well, he's smart because he's like, we have a fun, young, loaded roster. What could go wrong? It's like, all right, Hertz is not good. But then he's like, we have draft capital if Hertz isn't the guy. So he's trying to cover his bases. Yes. The problem is, if Hertz isn't the guy, you're drafting another guy. And the last two guys you've drafted, Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz, both were emphatically not the guy apparently in this in this outcome eventually so the reality yeah. yeah the reality is that you like you know we talked about this binary nature a little bit at the top you either have a quarterback or you don't you either have the guy who can win the, the the big game in february or you don't and the eagles thought they had that guy in wentz and they were proven wrong injuries plus off field plus whatever they had a chance again that guy it hurts again in this outcome they don't have him and now they're doing it again for the, it would be the what the third time in six years that they were drafting a quarterback with the hope that he'd become the guy. It's not, yeah. not great. Right. For an organization that says we value quarterback more than anything else, we'll do anything it takes to get a quarterback. They've had really had a hard time getting a quarterback since Donovan McNabb. I mean, they've like, they've had some great seasons in there. Don't get me wrong. But to have just the guy who you're saying the next seven or eight years, we don't even have to worry about it. They've had a hard time with that. And, and the other thing is, I mean, if you take away everything else and just isolate coach and quarterback and rank all the teams in the NFL, Eagles are not in the top 10 or the top 12 of that group. They're much more, you know, probably in that 15 to 20 range. And then I look at, you know, I brought up, I don't mean to bring up Matt Nagy every episode, but I mean, he went 12 and four in his first year. There's no guarantees that a coach who's good in his first year is good going forward. And there's no guarantees that you find an answer at quarterback if things don't work out with Hertz. I mean, we mentioned the scenarios earlier. Are you going to be, you know, uh, running up and jumping up and down if they trade for Derek Carr? You want to trade up for a quarterback in the draft? Well, guess what? A lot of teams want to draft a, draft a quarterback if the quarterbacks are good. So there are like no guarantees that you have an answer to quarterback. That would be uh, what I think should keep you up at night. All right. I'm going to track your Matt Nagy references. Okay. Over the course of the Too season. high versus Matt Nagy. There we go. Here we go. Uh, Fred Stanley asks, going into the season, knowing what we know now, where does this team rank in terms of preseason talent among the last 10 years of Eagles teams basically post Ooh. Now that's, that's given us a lot of work there, Fred. I mean, I couldn't go <laughs> roster by roster. So I don't know if you have an answer to that, Ben, but I did want to ask you, I think this is a bit of a juicy question. Is this roster on paper? Let's take away quarterback from it. Cause we already know, you know, uh, that's, that's going to be a bit of a question. If you compare two to 53 compared to the team that won the Super Bowl, which team had, which team, has more talent. I can go first if you want to uh, think about it. Now, I so yeah, my policy on on mailbags is to generally not look at it and do it live <laughs> if I can avoid it, right? Because I think it's fun to like to like riddle yeah. it out. Um, and so like I scroll through them to make sure like I have this one that needs a bunch of preps and whatever. But other than that, I try to go uh, sight unseen. Off the top of my head, this team's better, right? I feel like your your receiving core and your corner rooms are clearly better. Offensive line. And like it's tricky because you had you had injuries going into the end of the Super Bowl last year, but like week one death chart, you're probably pushing defensive line. You're losing push on linebacker. Yeah, I would say I would say this year's is better. It's, it's certainly close. And like 
I think 2017's defensive line in terms of star talent and depth is better than any positional group on 2022 Eagles, save for probably the offensive line. But still, like I, not having a star group like like that 2017 defensive line is a little bit shaky, but I think 2022 is better. Over the last 10 years, off the top of my head, this is the best their roster has been <laughs> non-quarterback. That's crazy. Pre-season. Think about that. And I agree with you. No, it's, okay, it's not crazy. Like, okay, cra- yeah. No, it's not crazy because you're wrong. It's crazy because what a statement to make. The mm-hmm. best roster in the in the post Andy Reid era. Oh my God, we're setting the, the bar high. I agree with you. I think it's a better roster yeah. than 2017. And that coaching staff in 2017 was just out scheming people on a yeah. weekly basis, including you know Mike Zimmer and Bill Belichick with everything on the line. And Jim Schwartz, as I said last episode, uh, he would have this as a top ten defense. This exact personnel, he would have this as a top ten defense with a high ceiling. And so. The coaching and, and quarterback. You and I are, are going to have a reckoning on Jim Schwartz at some point next year. Yeah, off you're yeah, time. you're you're wrong about that. But we we will listen. The the uh, the defense was never going to be worse than mediocre with Jim Schwartz. But I let, let's save that for a uh, future episode. So we both agree it's more talented than the Super Bowl team and maybe the most talented group of the yeah. last uh, People, ten years. Yeah. That 2013, you know, Eagles team with the Chips' first year. Really good. I mean, that was a that was a really good team. Uh, now they were catching opponents off guard, but that was a really good team. But uh, I think I, I I agree with you here. All right, yeah. Garrett Giuliano says we kind of touched on this earlier, but he says if the Birds bow out in the divisional round and Hurts has a statistically better season due to the weapons around him, but he does not improve marginally enough with the middle of the field reading and throwing with anticipation will the eagles move on this upcoming offseason or will they wait yeah Dep- depends on what's around them depends a lot on a lot of what- nuanced caveats yeah. there yeah right but it depends <laughs> right if, if it, it goes back to what the piece you wrote which everybody should read shield's piece on the ringer about like the jalen hurts outcomes it's okay either he's clearly the guy or he clearly isn't top 10 percent outcome bottom 10 percent outcome if it's anywhere in the 80 percent in the middle it's what else is going on what veteran quarterbacks are available and for what price are they available? How good is the rest of the roster? Are we really on the precipice of a Super Bowl or are we not? What are the draft quarterbacks like? What's the draft position like? How much you know, treasure do you have in, the, in the, the, the chest in terms of capital to move up in the draft? How much do you like the prospects, right? So if Hertz is in the eight, somewhere between 10 and 90th percentile outcomes, now it's all the other stuff that matters because you have the extra year to wait. Yeah, I looked at this and I, I think you're right. At the same time, given those numbers that I mentioned earlier about the the stretch of mediocrity, if that stretches into a five year window where you're oh, just like, yeah, and you know, I you know, if if they're if, all right, they made it to the divisional round, but let's say they went ten and seven, and you have questions. I mean, I tend to think they're going to want to be more aggressive and Me say, too. let's do something big here. At quarterback, we've got the pieces around yeah. the guy. This is um, the, so this the right draft instinct. class to do it. And yeah. I also think it'll be a good enough veteran market for them to do it as well. There you go. The next question from Mike J. Steven says, if the Eagles draft, a, I mean, this is going to be fun having you as like a draft guru once we get doing this show, once we Howdy. get to the spring. I mean, I have very unhinged, often terrible uh, draft takes. And so, uh, but Listen, I'm not afraid to just Eagles argue about Listen, any Eagles fan listening to this podcast will know how I felt about J.J. Arthigo Whiteside as a prospect yeah. and will continually throw it in my face for the rest of and time. And Rager, so. is, Rager is the one for me, although I did yeah. like Arthigo Whiteside as well. <laughs> I actually have a strong answer. I have a, a, a strong opinion to this, whether it's informed or uninformed. If the Eagles draft a round one, quarterback next year who will it be uh 
I'm all in on, on Bryce Young as my guy if I have to look at the quarterback options. Now, this is not based on film. This is based on sitting on my the, the chair over here to my right on Saturdays <laughs> and watching all these quarterbacks. Sometimes I just watch a quarterback and I go, this guy fits everything I want. I don't care that he's 5'11 or whatever he's going to measure at. I think he's going to be accurate. Leadership gets along with teammates. Uh, the pocket movement looks pretty good to me, even though he's got a great offensive line. You're sipping on a mug. I don't know what you're about to say here, uh, but I'll I'll just say it. Uh, I'm all, I'm I'm ready to plant my flag on. Even last week, you know, the Anthony Richardsons of the world are getting hyped up. C.J. Stroud with the comeback. I had on my third TV here. Who who were they playing? Oh, Utah State? big big TV Utah. brag. Big, <laughs> big TV flex. Brag. That's a third big flex. TV show yeah. That that's a big flex. Uh, I had I think it was Bright, they were playing Utah State, I believe, and Bryce Young is just carving them up. I know it's not the greatest competition, but I just feel like like he could have a Joe Burrow esque. Uh, season here. And in my opinion, he's the guy I want. All right. Tell me why I'm nuts or why you agree. I don't think you're nuts. I, I, I do think <laughs> he was carving up Utah State should tell you where you're at right now. This is after um, a, a Heisman last year, though. Also, yeah. it's not just one game. I am really interested to see how previously discussed analytics oriented, trends oriented, we don't chase outliers oriented front office Howie Roseman is on a very small, very thin quarterback like Bryce Young. He loved Russell Wilson. He'll tell you that. Ru- but here, here's the thing. Height matters to me less than density. You can be a quarterback. You, if you're thin, you can't Thickness. take a hit. You're going you're gonna to crumple. Like, like I, I can't remember what the exact stat is, but like Zach Wilson was the thinnest quarterback to come out since like Jim McMahon and be drafted. Mm-hmm. Like first round okay. quarterback to be drafted since Jim McMahon. Okay. It is very difficult to play that position and take the hits that you do. Remember, you're standing still. You have no velocity. You have 300 pounds coming into you with velocity and not have enough mass to endure that, yeah. that, that hit. Even in a changing NFL that protects quarterbacks, all it takes is a couple of hits, you start to commit injury, we're in trouble. Um, I always go back to when uh, uh, Roseman spoke at Wharton, right, at, at, a, at a Wharton conference after they drafted Wentz, talking about how they went through that process and what it was like for him to decide to trade up and like to realize that he had to like kind of break his his philosophy on how the draft should work and how running a team should work young will require that young will come in below the typical standards in terms of height and weight for uh nfl caliber quarterbacks so if you you have to believe in the guy you got to really feel in your gut and if there's a dude you're gonna feel for it's gonna be bryce it's on slow news day it's good you did a good hit with kevin clark everybody go listen ring your podcast but uh uh, he is an outlier, and I wonder if they will see him, and then they'll see 6'4", 220, Anthony Richardson, 75-yard arm, and say, <laughs> that's what we want it to look like, baby. Listen, uh, another flex here, Bryce. Uh, I've got the Vitamix in the kitchen. We're on a two, you know, two smoothie-a-day diet over here in the Kapadia household. You come on over. We'll put a couple scoops of that whey protein in. You'll add, you'll add some whatever. Bryce and Devontae, baby. Eagles yeah. drafting yeah. Bama players only if they're under 195 yeah. pounds. I'm right here in media. We're about you know 20 minutes away from the practice facility. Don't even worry about that. Uh, you'll be fine. All right, we only have a few minutes left, so I want to get to some of the sillier ones here. I like all these questions. We can definitely get to more of these in, uh, in future episodes, maybe even in our next episode here. Ben, I don't know how many uh, Eagles games you've attended if you've attended any. So this was a question. Favorite memory of an Eagles game you have actually attended? I'm, I'm, I'll answer this one first. Uh, mine was the 4th and 26th game against the Packers, January 11th. 2004. I remember just standing up there going, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're blowing this again. And all of a sudden, euphoria 
as they connect on that pass, they uh, get the first down, they tie it, they win it in overtime against the, now they blow it the next week, but uh, being there with my dad and then you go to the concourse and I, we run into my friends and everyone's just going crazy there on the concourse. And so that I think is my favorite memory of an Eagles game I've attended. I've been to two preseason Eagles games, both okay. at the link. One regular season Eagles game, which was in the Meadowlands, and then one postseason Eagles game, which was in Chicago, which is where I went to college. I saw you there, yeah. That game is my favorite game because that was the double dunk game. And yeah. I was that was my first time ever in a box for an NFL game. Had great met met uh, Eric Edholm. I got to hang out with with Rosenblatt. It was great. Diana Rossini, big time, the ever living daylights out of me. It was awesome. Uh, I was a college kid. I was like trying to come up in this field. Like to me, this was like a, a hallmark moment. But then to sit in that box, hear that stadium when Parky came out to make that kick. Yeah. And to feel the vacuum that existed when he missed it. Like just to 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 hear, like it's I've I'd heard many times at sporting events before a quiet crowd get loud. I had never heard a loud crowd get quiet like that. I'll never forget how it felt to just like be totally suspended in that moment of just everybody with no breath in their lungs, just stunned at the play that they had just seen. That was that was a really fun day. It was a good time. And I then biked back to my apartment, 45-minute really? bike ride at like 11, 15 at night in the winter in Chicago. And that's what we <laughs> college kids are doing, baby. We ain't paying for Ubers. Not in this economy. We, we're on the bike. Here we go. I could have I given you a ride. I saw you in the press box. No, actually, I think I, I like Chicago because you can walk from the hotel uh, to the stadium. That was a great game to cover. I, I remember uh, yeah. that one vividly. That was a lot of fun. All right. This is, pro, this is a you know, birds with friends throwback here. This is from Fools Burner, Italian Stallion. Wants to know what kind of deodorant does Ben use? And I'll explain it, after you answer. Yeah, that's, oh, okay. that, that, that's just the question. I, just, I usually just go to the Old Spice area and find something okay. that's on sale. I'm a big two-pack guy. I'm a big now, do you whiff them? Do you whiff them when you're in the store? Or do you feel like you're doing something you wrong do when that? you do they that? They got like the plastic covers on them. Yeah, I take, I'll take a cap. Or in my younger days, I would take the cap off and you take a little whiff, but you look around, it almost feels like you're shoplifting, even though I technically don't think you're doing anything <laughs> wrong. So you're I did do that back in the day. Yeah, uh, I would say no. I don't. I don't whiff them. I generally know how Old Spice smells. Okay. I also have a very, very poor sense of smell. Not COVID related. I've never had a good sense of smell. So like, okay. I can smell deodorant, but to me, like the fact that I can smell deodorant means like all deodorant smells amazing. Because I just generally can't smell things. Like scented candles okay. to me are like a revelation. I, I always walk by a scented candle, shove that thing in my nose, like, okay. oh my gosh, that's what fall smells like. Because I never knew. So wow. no, I'm I, I'm very undiscerning when it comes to my deodorant. I just do the job, okay. and then we're good. I might have to get you on some type of nasal spray or something. We might need to clear up those nostrils, get you to get yep. your smell back. Dude, dealing with the, the we had we had a house fire, I don't know, with people, whatever, yeah. we had a house fire like six weeks ago. Everybody's okay, we're very fine. I moved in a new house, it's great. It's doing a huge problem. So I keep being like, my wife, Meredith, like, Mayor, great news. Like, this doesn't smell like smoke. And Mayor smells like this reeks of smoke. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I can't. It doesn't smell like anything. So it's been such a problem because anytime I, like, clean yeah. anything or pull anything out of the house, I got to walk up to somebody and be like, can you smell this? Does this smell like smoke? Like, is this, does this smell like I can't figure yeah. it out myself. Yeah. For, uh, for new listeners, the purpose of this question, I, uh, I use a woman's deodorant, a Dove Nutrient Rich. It's a great deodorant. Uh, Bo Wolf uses a woman's deodorant. And Zach Berman was very manly as a Mitchum man uh, on Birds right. with Friends. So that's why this question was asked. So that was that. All right, let's finish with a couple, a couple more. You know what? Let's get to the lawn care. Now, this was not a specific question, but you've moved into a new house. 
Mm-hmm. You're doing some lawn care research. And I have to tell you, no one's more worthless around the house than me. I don't know how to do a single thing. But Love during it. the pandemic, I looked out at our small lawn and I said, you know what? I'm going online right now and I'm ordering a lawnmower, a weed whacker, and a lawn blo- uh, leaf blower. And I'm going to handle this lawn. It's been great. I just got an electric push mower. It's fantastic. You charge it up. You plug in That's your earbuds. Yeah. Oh, you got that? All right. Yeah, you plug in the AirPods. You, you, it takes me probably like an hour and a half. You weed whack, you leaf blow. You don't attach the bag, Ben. I saw some of your followers were having a little bit of a debate on this. You let the clippings mulch your lawn. As, as my friend Lemur, who is the lawn care aficionado, instructed me, you just let the lawn clippings mulch the lawn. You have a lawn. friend named Lemur? Yeah. Well, that's his nickname. Yeah. And so it's for, a great yeah. nickname. So uh, the edging is very difficult. I don't, did you get a weed whacker? I got an I got an edger. My my, oh, my father in law's real, okay. my father in law's real big on on lawns. This is part of the reason why I got to care about this is because okay. when he's rolling through the lawns, Ooh, get that's a lot of pressure. Yes. Yeah, so his his uh, new house gift to us was lawn care equipment because oh this is his, what a gift! Yeah, what a guy. This, this is his priority, and this is yeah, this is <laughs> good. But the problem is, I. I to the previous owner of insert Ben's address here, I apologize if you're an Eagles fan listening to this podcast. The previous owner of this house didn't really wasn't really a great steward of the outside areas, mm, and so okay. it's not like I got to learn how to trim a lawn. It's like I don't know if that's supposed to be here or not. Is that plant a good plant or a bad plant? Yeah. Sort of a situation. So I'm I, I I've already phoned a professional. Someone is going to come in okay. who's a lawn care person and be like, "This is bad. That's good." And I'm like, "Keep this. Get rid of it." And then I'm going, okay. yeah, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." There you so go. I need. Well, I need I, it's like it's like listen, Howie Roseman's good at the rebuild. I need to bring in the Howie Roseman of lawn. That's right. To handle my rebuild, and then I can I can handle the stewardship <laughs> from there. That's right. Again, I can't do anything. Like you know the basic tasks yes. where your friends will be like, oh, you can do this yourself. No, I cannot. I don't do that myself. I'm a disaster. But I can mow the lawn. And I'll tell you what, when you're done and you're all you're sweating and you look out there and you got a nice mowed lawn. That is a great sense of accomplishment as a grown-up. So I look forward yeah. to you having that. It's important for us journalists to actually do things that like have real impact that you can see and touch and feel like it matters. Like yeah. get that feeling in your life. <laughs> like mowing that, yeah. the lawn. That's yeah. what you gotta get my mowing the lawn, baby. Look out and be like, that is a finished product and I love it. <laughs> and I don't I feel good about it, unlike when I submit a piece and I feel horrible about it because that's yeah. what writing is. That's right. It's a good feeling. All right. That'll wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for the questions. Again, if you sent uh, sent some in, we didn't get to them. Well, maybe we'll try to get to more tomorrow. Tomorrow, I mean, we got it's a football Friday. We need to be talking about this Eagles-Lions matchup. We got to make predictions for the game. And we have to go on the record with our predictions for the season. So that Don't know if you saw it. It's a sold-out sold home game there in Detroit. The, the, the vibes have peaked. Preseason week up. one hype for the Detroit That's Lions, right. baby. Hard Knocks is over, so let's see if that can give them some energy. Thank you to Ben. Thank you to everyone who has listened and rated and reviewed and subscribed and followed so far. Continue to do that. We will be back tomorrow.